The following sermon is from Lance Lewis, resident pastor at Midwest Church Extension. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at myhomecalvary.org. That's myhomecalvary.org. Thank you, and here's Pastor Lance. Amen. Thanks, Dad. Well, it is great to be back with you here this morning, but as I come back, everything's kind of different. There's a new pulpit here. There's not the old wooden one. As I was coming out of the baptismal, it was kind of an interesting experience because if you've ever watched the Chronicles of Narnia and they come through the closet and they see all the trees and white snow and stuff, and I thought, my Narnia or <laughs> what, what is going on here? But it is great to be back with you here this morning at Calvary Baptist Church. I want to give you a brief update on my ministry how God's been working in my life. I know Henry was here last Sunday, and he really beat me to the punch that I'm completing my residency program with Midwest Church Extension. The pastor of my church is moving on to a new ministry um, to be the East Area Field Director for the state of Ohio. So he's going to be moving into that next year, starting in January. And my church currently is candidating me for the position of lead pastor there. So that'll begin probably starting next Sunday, and they will be having a vote on that within the next couple weeks. So I appreciate your prayers for me and for my ministry. I am so blessed by the fellowship and love that I have experienced from this church and the encouragement from your pastor who I've talked to about this decision and prayed with this decision about, and I trust that God will continue to work in my life um, to do his will. Lots of exciting things have been happening with Midwest Church Extension. I know Henry did a great job of explaining all the new exciting fields and possibilities that we have. But this morning, I want to draw our attention to God's Word. I'd love to give you some more personal updates and stories and things that have happened in my life, but I want to get our attention to the Scripture. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, please open to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1 is going to be our text this morning, and the title of my sermon is, Remember Your Call to Ministry. Remember Your Call to Ministry. I'll go ahead and read our passage for us this morning, and I'll pray and ask God's blessing on our time in His Word, and we will get started. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3 says this, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan the flame of the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Let's pray. God, we know that it is only through you that we can be here this morning. You've gathered your people who are your church, a body of saints, a body of people who have trusted you for salvation, most of whom who, like Quinn, have followed you in believers' baptism, professing their faith before everyone else. And so, God, I pray for our service this morning that you would encourage us from your word. 
You have a message from the book of 2 Timothy that we need to take hold of and hear in our hearts. So God, I pray that you would be with me as I preach your word, that you would give me boldness and confidence to exhort these people as they need to be exhorted. Give me patience and, and grace as I comfort those who need to be comforted. Give me wisdom as I try to expound on the truths of Scripture. And God, I pray that these words would not be my own, but that they would honor and glorify you. So Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is my grandmother's birthday, my dad's mother. She died a few years ago from cancer, but she was a faithful Christian. If you've heard my dad's testimony, you know that his father, though a good man, a guy that I think was probably a Christian near the end of his life, did not faithfully go to church. And so for my dad to hear the gospel, it was through his mother. She faithfully took my dad and his sisters to church each and every Sunday. And I trust that the sincere faith that my father has is only passed on to him through his grandmother. You know, sincere faith is something that we need in our churches today. We see people walk away from the faith. We hear of pastors falling from ministry. We wonder, how could this person drift so far away? Maybe older people who you grew up knowing, who have some kind of family issue and they leave the church. Younger people who drift from the faith and you wonder, what happened to them? I taught them in Sunday school. How could they drift so far from the truth? They memorized Bible verses. They heard the gospel preached. What has happened to our world today? A world that was once so focused on the gospel, and it, now it seems that it's drifted away. But our problem is not a new problem. But it's a problem Paul faces as well in the book of 2 Timothy. The book of 2 Timothy is a letter written to a young pastor who is struggling, who is watching people fall from ministry, who is watching friends depart from the faith, and he's now getting a letter from his mentor, Paul, who is preparing to die. Paul and Timothy had a close, personal relationship, and this would be the last letter that Paul ever wrote to his young disciple, Timothy, his young pastor who he had trained. But this pastor was weary. This pastor could sometimes be timid. But I don't think this is something that's unique to Timothy, but as I'm sure your pastors would tell you, it's something pastors all across America and all across the world struggle with. If you heard Henry last Sunday night, you would hear of all the openings and possibilities that are part of Midwest Church Extension. There's less men going into ministry. And why is that? Because ministry is challenging. Because as people see the reality of ministry and what it truly is, many of them are afraid. Some of them enter ministry and they're burned out rather quickly. Some of them don't have the training that I've been blessed to have or other pastors have had. So they just don't know exactly what they're doing. And Paul writes to a pastor like this who was trained, who was godly, who had a sincere faith, which we're going to mention here in a moment, but he's tired. 
and he's weary, and he's broken, and he's probably experienced some personal tragedies. But Paul writes him a letter of encouragement. But it's not just encouragement. It's a letter of exhortation. It's a letter of being reminded of the things that we need to know. You know, there's a word that's used in our passage this morning. It is remember. He uses it at least six or seven times. Sometimes we need to be told things. I take seminary classes online. I need to learn things. I need to broaden my vocabulary. I also teach English. Those kids need to learn things. They need to learn how to end their sentences with periods. They need to learn how to write with capital letters. They need to learn how to write papers for me like in a way that is not like they're texting. Sometimes we need to learn. Sometimes we need to be encouraged. We need to be comforted. Sometimes we need to be reminded. And that is what Paul is doing this morning. He's reminding Timothy of things. He's reminding him of his call to ministry. Now you might say there's only a couple pastors in the room. Why would you preach on this? Why would you say remember your call to ministry? Because ministry is not just something that pastors are called to. It is something the entire body of Christ is to do. And you know what? I think that might be the problem with the church today. We've spent far too much time thinking that ministry is just for people who are paid by the church. We don't understand that ministry is something we all need to take part in. So this morning we're going to consider our call to ministry. If you're a believer, if you've trusted Christ like Quinn testified that he had, then you are called to ministry. And you need to be reminded of some things. And that's what I want us to see today. When the burdens of life are overwhelming, we need to remember our call to ministry. Notice what Paul reminds Timothy of, starting in verse 3. He first tells us that we should remember our personal mentors. Our personal mentors. Do you see that in the text with me? Paul, as he's writing to Timothy, says, I thank my God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. If you've noticed, the family is a huge part of this passage. Paul's relationship with his ancestors, Timothy's relationship with his mother and grandmother. And Paul says, as I pray to God, as I'm thankful to God, whom I serve in the same way that those did before me, he's reminded of Timothy. Paul is talking about his prayer life. And he's saying the same faith that I have is the faith that my father and grandfather and many generations before them had as well. Paul had a rich history of knowing Christ. But things were different. The ancestors that Paul refers to did not have Jesus come in the flesh, but Paul did. But he says, you know what? We serve the same God. We just have a fuller revelation. He says, I serve this God with a clear conscience. You know anything about Paul? He had a rocky start to Christianity, mainly because he started by persecuting Christians. But he says, I serve God now with a clear conscience. This idea of conscience is something that is talked about a lot in the pastoral epistles. If you know anything about the conscience, it can be seared, it can be corrupted, but it tells us what is right and what is wrong. And Paul says, I know my conscience is clear. I'm serving God, and I know that is what I am supposed to do. 
So Paul says he remembers now Timothy. He says, I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Paul consistently prayed for his disciple Timothy. And I'm just going to stop here for a moment and say this. That throughout my life, even though it's been short so far, throughout my ministry, I have been personally blessed by the people of this church who have stopped and prayed for me, who have messaged me and told me that they were praying for me, who have showed their love and support to me as I've been in college, as I've been doing ministry, and as I've even come here this morning. And even though I can't point to a specific moment and say, oh yeah, this person was praying to me, there are things that have happened in my life that I know I've only been able to do because of the prayers of his saints. And I praise God for that. And I hold you all in my prayers as well. Notice what he remembers as he prays. As I remember your tears, I long to see you. He says, remember again. He remembers Timothy's tears. Now, what could this be referring to? Some think that it's when Paul left the church that Timothy was at. Some think it, it was a personal tragedy that Timothy faced in his family. And it's hard to figure out exactly what Paul is referring to, but it's something that caused him great pain. Maybe it was a disgruntled church member. Maybe it was someone who left ministry. But Paul says because of this, he longs to see Timothy. He has a desire to be with him again. Remember, Paul was in prison. Paul couldn't see anybody. But Paul says, I long to see you again. Well, Paul, as we know, died after this letter was written. So how would he have seen Timothy again? Well, we know that even if he didn't see Timothy here on earth, he saw Timothy in glory. He saw Timothy in heaven, and there his joy would be full. I'm sure many of you, probably more than me, have friends, have mentors, have family members who knew Christ, who have died and passed on into eternity. And while you miss them now, you know that when you see them in heaven, you're going to experience fullness of joy. Even as I baptized Quinn this morning, and I was trying to get ready for the baptism and figure out how to put waiters on and things like that, I was reminded of mentors in my life. I was reminded of Pastor Scott. I was reminded of Pastor Joe, who actually baptized me when I was six years old. I was reminded of how they would baptize people and how Pastor Scott would say the same thing after each person was baptized. And you know, as I have had just a little bit of experience in ministry, you remember the little things like that. I called Pastor Scott a couple weeks ago, and I was telling him that I was going to baptize Quinn. He told me, he said, well, you should have baptized him a couple years ago because he's kind of grown up now and you might <laughs> have a little bit of trouble because he's so tall. But as I was, I was talking to him, I was reminded of his ministry in my life. Back in April, I had the opportunity to preach at his church. And just seeing him do ministry, I realized how much I've learned from that man and from many others, from Henry Bosberg, who was here last Sunday, who's faithfully ministered in my life and the last couple of years and given me a burden and a desire to see churches grow and change and be planted here in the Midwest. All the pastors I've done internships with, all the people here who have taught me in Sunday school have faithfully ministered to me. Sometimes the best people who have mentored you are the people that no one knows. And I'm sure this is true of you as well. You have people who have impacted you spiritually. 
You have people who no, maybe nobody would guess, but that person's taught you in Sunday school. They've prayed for you. They've sent you encouraging notes. They've given you some kind of gift, and they've been a mentor in your life. Maybe it's a family member who has passed on, like Paul, like Timothy, someone in your family who's faithfully taught you Scripture. But I understand that that's not everyone who's here with us this morning. I've been blessed to have parents and grandparents who knew the Lord and faithfully went to church, but I understand that that is not everyone. Some of you have had other mentors outside of your family that shared the gospel with you and who showed you what it meant to be a follower of Christ. And maybe you're at a point in your life where you don't know who that person is, and I'm sure Pastor Dan would love to talk to you about that and connect you with someone in this church who can help you know what it means to follow Jesus. But why do I say all this? Why do we need to remember our mentors? Our mentors shape our call to ministry. Paul was there when Timothy was called to ministry. He helped Timothy discern what it was for, what God's will was for him to do. And I've thought, as I've thought about what is God's will in my life to pastor and where should I be and all the logistics of that, I've been thankful for the many mentors who have poured into me. Ministry is challenging, but the people who invest in your life will help you figure it out. Through prayer, obviously, through the work of the Spirit. Paul had a close relationship with Timothy, and he reminds Timothy of this. He longs to see him. Friends, we can be encouraged when life gets difficult by the mentors and the people who showed us how to be followers of Christ in the first place. I would also encourage you to think about this. Every one of us has some kind of mentor. Every one of us has someone who has shown us what it means to be a Christian. How can you be more like them? How can you today be more like that person who mentored you? Who in your life can you show what it means to follow Jesus? Even as I was talking to Quinn the other day, and I w we were at Matagot, and I was asking him different questions, I thought, you know, I can remember so many faithful men doing these exact same things with me, and I loved it, and I grew from it. My, as many of you know, my first experience with ministry was in Teens Involved, learning how to preach from Pastor Scott. And as I've told him often, you know what really got me to start doing that? It wasn't preaching. It was that all these cool older guys that were in youth group were going to have pizza, and they were going to watch football at Pastor Scott's house. And I, as a little seventh grader, thought that was just the end-all, be-all. I thought that was so awesome. And so that got me doing what I love to do now. Remember your mentors, the people who have ministered to your life. Secondly, remember your sincere faith. Look at this with me in verse 5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it dwells in you as well. Timothy had a family faith, but don't get this wrong. Don't think that Timothy had this faith passed down to him by his mother and grandmother. We don't think that's how salvation works. Rather, his grandmother Lois trusted in Christ. She heard the gospel preached, and she became a Christian, and so did his mother in the same way. And, and Timothy was taught scriptures from an early age as well, and he became a Christian too. Look at chapter 3 with me in verse 15. 
we'll actually start in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation. It is important to teach our children, our grandchildren, how to have sincere faith. What is that word? Sincere has this idea of being genuine, not having a false pretense about something. And faith is obviously knowing Christ, having a commitment to Jesus. It's truly being a Christian, a follower of Christ. You might think, well, that's really simple. Yeah, but so many people miss that. It was true for Paul. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. You are all aware of all those in Asia who turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes, people who were trusted companions of Paul who left him, who deserted the faith. I've been preaching through the book of 1 John at Sycamore Bible Church, the church that I'm working out right now. And in chapter 2, John says this, they went out from us because they were not of us. Because if they were from us, they would have stayed with us. We need to make sure that we have people in our churches who have sincere faith. Not because we don't like them, not because we wish ill on them, but because they need to hear the gospel. What is Paul saying here? Timothy, I know that your grandmother was a Christian. I know that your mother was a Christian. And I have that confidence in you as well, that you truly know Christ. Timothy had this sincere faith, this genuine faith. You know, we hate things that are fake. We hate things that are not the real thing. I've been teaching English part-time at a Christian school as a way to support my ministry and I teach middle school English, and I don't really know why I thought that was a good idea, but it's worked out so far, and uh, it's helped me become a better writer and teacher. But I had a student one day. I gave them this little reading assessment, and they had questions on it. And I had a group of students that I thought were cheating. And I'm not, I wasn't a student. You know, I'm still a student working on my master's degree, but I was a junior hire not that long ago, and I know how tempting it is to cheat. But I'll tell you what gave it away, how I figured out this one particular student was cheating. He wrote on his answer, students' answers may vary to this question, but they should put something like this. And somehow he'd found the answer key online and just copy and pasted it into the answer box. And so I pulled him over and I said, hey, have you been cheating on this assignment? And he said, no, not me. I said, really? Well, then look at this answer. And he read it and he said, okay, I might have been cheating on that question. We can tell when people are fake. We can tell when people are not sincere. And I told him this. I said, I, you know, I don't really care whether or not you get an 80 or a 90 or a 70 on this quiz or on this assessment. But I said, I do care about your character. I said, I do care about you being genuine. And I said, I would rather you give me a real answer that comes from you that's completely wrong than cheating and getting the right answer. Sincere faith. We care more about people actually being Christians, actually knowing Christ, than we do about our church being big, about our church being well-known, about us filling the seats. This sincere faith, again, started with older 
generations of Christians, and it was shared by Timothy, who was also a Christian in his own right. So my question for you this morning is, do you have this sincere faith? Do you know Christ as Savior? Timothy wasn't a Christian because his grandmother and mother were Christians. He was a Christian because he trusted in the gospel, because he knew Jesus Christ, because he'd made a decision to become a follower of Jesus. I told Quinn the other day, I said, you don't, I don't want you to get baptized because I've been baptized or because all of our family has. I said, I want you to be baptized because you know Jesus, because you want to be a follower of him. This sincere faith, it's something that Timothy needed. It's something that he needed to remember. And why is that? Because it would help him in his call to ministry. And so that's my last aspect of this passage that I want us to see this morning, is that we should remember our call from God. Look at verses 6 through 8 with me. And for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. Paul had been reminded of some things in his prayer life, and now he starts to remind Timothy of some things. This gift that Timothy received, this gift of God, what is it? And how do we fan it into flame? To fan into flame doesn't mean to start a flame, but it means to keep a flame going or to get it going again. How do we fan into flame this gift of God? What is this gift of God? These are both things we should consider. Now, I'm not saying that this may not be Timothy's spiritual gift, and some people have had some wild and kind of erratic claims that they have made about this passage, but what I really think is going on here is that Paul is telling Timothy to use his gifts that he's been given for ministry. We don't know exactly what they were, And again, they had some different spiritual gifts in that age than we have available to us today. But Timothy was given gifts by God, talents by God, for the work of the ministry. And Paul says, start working on those again. Start developing those gifts once more. Timothy was called to ministry, and he had a certain skill set that he needed to do that. And like I said earlier, we are called to ministry as well. I do believe that some are called to pastoral ministry, and they have a specific call by God on their life. But how does God do that? Well, I think there's three criteria for that. One, a person desires the office. It says that in the pastoral epistles and the qualifications. If anyone desires the office of pastor, he desires a noble thing. You have to want to be a pastor. Trust me, you don't want a pastor who doesn't want to be a pastor who doesn't want to be your pastor. Secondly, you need to meet the qualifications. You need to meet the qualifications that are listed in the pastoral epistles in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. We don't just let anybody be a pastor. They need to be qualified. And part of that is being gifted for that office. And then finally, they need to be affirmed by a church. They need to have a church say, I believe this person is called to ministry. And so as I've thought about my own personal call to ministry, I have a desire to be a pastor. I feel like I meet the qualifications. And I've had churches say, yeah, we see God's call on your life as well. And that, I believe, is it. I don't necessarily think it's God bringing some kind of mystical experience into your life and 
having an audible voice that you hear in your head saying, you should do this. I don't necessarily think that's how God is working and calling people to ministry. Rather, it's normal people desiring to be in ministry and God equipping them to do so. And that's true for you as well. I don't know what ministry it is that God's called you to, but God has called each and every one of us to serve his church. He's put a special call on your life for service. And the same was true of Timothy. Let's go back to our passage. This gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. Now, is that how we get our spiritual gifts? Do people lay hands on us and then we receive all these gifts? Well, I've not had anybody do that for me, personally. So what do I think Paul is referring to here? Well, I don't know if he's necessarily talking about his ordination, but this was probably some kind of commissioning service for Timothy where people recognized his call to ministry, that he was gifted for this task. When we have pastors enter into pastoral positions, many times, and I don't think it's a requirement, but many times people will lay hands on them. The leadership of the church will do that and recognize that this person is called by God to be here. That's what I think Paul is referring to with Timothy. Timothy, you've been called to this specific ministry. You've been equipped for this ministry by God, and you need to continue fanning into flame this gift. Look at verse 7 with me. <clears throat> For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. How are we going to do this? God's gifted us, but how do we keep going? Well, he's given us a spirit, not of fear or cowardice, but a spirit of power. And I don't think this is some kind of supernatural power, but as you study the word in the Greek, it is the ability to do the work that God has called you to do. It's the actual ability to do those things, to keep going in ministry, the strength that you have. It's not some mystic type gift, I'd, but it's rather the ability to keep going. All of us have to admit that there are times when we want to quit, but it is God through his spirit that enables us to keep going. Secondly, he gives us a spirit of love. Love. Love for the people that we minister to. Love for the people who we share the gospel with. Love for the people who we disciple. It's hard to minister to people who you don't care for. In fact, I think it's impossible to minister to people you don't care for. So God gives us a spirit of love. His spirit helps us to love. And I actually think that love only comes from the Holy Spirit, true Christ-like agape love, we're told in Galatians, is a fruit of the Spirit. There are some people we would rather avoid. There are some people we would rather not minister to. But God's Spirit helps us to love those people. I did an internship in Iowa, and one of my early experiences there, there was this older woman who had not been to church in a while, and the pastor said, we're going to go pay her a visit. And as I got there, she had these dogs that greeted me at the door, and they barked and growled at me. And I walked into her living room, and I sat down, and the dogs, for the entire 40 minutes that I was there, growled at me the entire time. And I thought, this doesn't make me feel better about being here. And as I was there, I started getting the impression, I think she told them to growl at me, 
because she was not very friendly either. And she told us all the things that we were doing wrong at the church and all the things that we needed to change. And that was a person that was hard to love. That was a person that was hard to minister to. But as the pastor said, we're called by God to love her. Now, her dogs, I could do without, but we're called by God to love that specific Christian. He also gives us a spirit of self-control, the discipline to keep on going. As I've been working, especially over this last year, I've tried to become more disciplined. I've tried to become better about keeping my word, skills that I need to do the ministry that God has called me to do. But I can only do those things by the power of his Holy Spirit. God equips us to do the work that he's called us to. I've been working with kids a lot between the YMCA program that I ran last year, between teaching and all the different ministries, and I've noticed something about kids. Kids, I don't, I don't necessarily think you have to have a specific gift to work with kids. Rather, I think you have to be humble. You have to care about them. You have to be interested in what they are interested in. And when you do those things, kids start to like you because you care about what they care about. Paul exhorts Timothy to remember the gift that he's been given and the power of the Spirit that he's given him to do it. But finally in verse 8, we'll get the last thing that Paul exhorts Timothy to do. Therefore, do not be ashamed about the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering by the power of God. This is part of a long sentence, and I normally wouldn't include it with the verses in my text today, but this shows us what ministry is all about. Not being ashamed of the gospel, but boldly proclaiming it. Not being afraid to tell us that you are a Christian, but putting the gospel on display and then suffering for it. This was part of what Paul was calling Timothy to do. Timothy would preach the gospel. He would make disciples. He would do all of these different things associated with ministry, but he would ultimately suffer for the gospel. This was something Paul was doing right now in prison. He was suffering for the gospel too. We in America today have not experienced the near as much of the persecution as they did or as Christians around the world do. But each and every one of us are called to not be ashamed of the gospel and to suffer for the gospel each and every day. And so as we end our time together this morning, I want us to consider a couple questions. A couple questions, a couple things we should be reminded of. Number one, do you have a sincere faith? Do you remember that time where you've trusted in Christ's work on the cross for your sins, and you have that sincere faith? Secondly, how can you be more like the people who have mentored you, even here at this church? How can you mentor others in that same way? Thirdly, how are you proclaiming the gospel here at Calvary Baptist Church? How are you being unashamed of the gospel here and finally, how are you suffering for the gospel? Paul will later tell Timothy that all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. I don't think we see that widespread persecution Paul endured today, 
But the day could come. There could be a day where you are called to suffer and even die for your faith. What causes people to do that? What causes people in China and other countries of the world to keep preaching the gospel Sunday after Sunday when they know their lives are endangered? It is a sincere faith. It's a faith that is genuine. And so as we consider what ministry God has called us to do, as I look ahead to the ministry God has called me to do, my prayer is that God would continue to give us sincere faith, that we would be faithful to proclaim that gospel to our children, to other people here at this church, and that we would make his gospel known to all the nations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for our time together here this morning. And I thank you for this church and their faithful witness here for so many years. I think for the pastors who have faithfully loved them and preached the word to them and discipled them. And I pray that you would continue to help them as they complete your mission here on earth, Lord. God, be with me and the ministries that I'm looking ahead to and the things that I'm praying about. I pray that you would give me wisdom as I make decisions and as the church makes decisions in the coming week. And I pray that you would be glorified in our lives as we follow your word faithfully. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Lance Lewis, resident pastor at Midwest Church Extension. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at myhomecalvary.org. That's myhomecalvary.org. Thank you for listening.